Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The advice I would offer to anyone coming to lands that are not their own, obviously, and I would do this if I was traveling to France, Germany, Italy, any of that. I would research and find what are the sacred spots or places that I need to not go to or that are for that culture only. Like there are places in Paiute Nation that people have historically hiked to and uh, littered and had their, oh look, let's take our Instagram photo, but it's actually like a super sacred place to the Paiute people and they ask specifically that people don't go to that spot because of its sacredness. Hi, I'm Kelly Edwards and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. It's no secret that the United States has a complicated history, especially when it comes to its relationship with indigenous peoples. In this episode, I sit down with my guest, Corinne Rice Greycloud, to talk about how non-indigenous people can approach that relationship, as well as what we can keep in mind when traveling to indigenous spaces. My name is Corinne Rice Greycloud. I am a contract educator in the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. I do that on both my Instagram page and then also as a journalist. And yeah, I work with a lot of different companies and organizations, um, contract to educate on the Indigenous voice, which is oftentimes left out of people's knowledge and experiences. Corinne, I have a question that I, I just would really want to know personally. Does your culture want to be referred to as Native Americans or how do you feel about the term Indian? Which one is appropriate? Which one is not? Are they both okay? Yeah. And there's no one right answer for that either, because I can't speak for every Indigenous person, right? And it changes. It changes depending on the age of the person that you ask. It changes depending on where that person lives and was raised. And it depends, is this a legal reference too, right? Okay, so let's explain that. The older generations are familiar with being called Indians, especially if you're in the Midwest or on reservation lands. It doesn't necessarily mean that non-natives can call them Indians, right? We will sometimes refer to ourselves as Indians, but that doesn't mean that we're okay with other non-natives addressing us as that. Native American is usually fine, and indigenous is becoming, among the younger generations, the preferred. American Indian is very specifically the term that is used for legal documentation, for legal reasons, because in treaties, we are referred specifically to as American Indians. So you'll see things like um, the American Indian movement and various other things. So Native American, American Indian, and Indigenous are the three you're most likely to be okay with using those three terms. But I always say 
the best thing to do is to ask because every person is going to have a different preference. Some people are going to say, oh, I don't care. Just call me whatever. Some people are going to be very specific. And then some people will go further than that as to say, please address me by my nations, right? Please just ask what my nations are and then address me as Lakota or Mohawk or whatever their nations are. But with every case, you'll need to ask that individual. Okay, well, that's great to know. We're definitely in a time now where people, I like to think, are trying to become more socially and culturally responsible and respectful. So as you said, the best thing to do is to ask, which is what I did a little reluctantly just because... And it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. Yes, very much so. It's uncomfortable. But with so much of our growth comes being uncomfortable. And we just have to be in that space where this is... And even stating like, I'm so sorry, this is a little uncomfortable, but I would like to know what you prefer. Would you prefer your nations? Do you prefer native? And to ask that person because nine times out of 10, they're just going to really appreciate that you put that much energy and thought into making sure they feel safe. Absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for answering that. You're welcome. I really, really appreciate it. I was taking a look at your social media and it was quite educational and it also had a lot of humor to it. (laughs) I thought that that was quite a great way to engage people. And I thought it was really interesting and great that you added some humor into it so that the message still comes across, but uh, is entertaining at the same time. When did you begin your work as an activist? Was it something that you grew up being a part of, or was it something that came to you later on? I don't know. Honestly, like, and I really dislike the word activist in general. Like, I would never introduce myself as an activist. Good to know. Yeah, and that's just because When I think of an activist, I think of someone who's working hard to bring awareness because it's something that they're passionate about and because they care about it. When I fight to bring awareness to something, it's for survival. Mm. It's because it's for my people. And so I don't consider it activist so much as necessary. That being said, I do recognize that the colonial world that exists today has that title for the kind of work that I'm doing. And I wish I could tell you there was this sudden aha moment, right, where I realized, oh, this is what I want to do, or it just became, I guess you could say, Mm. I Mm -hmm. was going through transition in my own personal life and was always very authentic with the people who followed me on Instagram or wherever, TikTok, and I didn't sugarcoat things. I was also very real about what was happening in my personal life at the time. And I came to this realization that people were there and learning with me and that there was this platform for education that kind of sprung up amidst this personal turmoil and then also everything that was happening worldwide with the indigenous people in various movements across the globe. There was an ear for it. There was an ear to learn. There was people were becoming a little bit more aware of indigenous voices speaking up. And I realized people were listening. I was a journalist for powerhouse.com since 2014 and had utilized that particular space for indigenous folks telling our own stories. 
which I thought was needed and necessary. There were so many journalists at the time that were coming to our spaces, telling our, our stories and kind of exploiting that. I recognized that we needed to be the ones telling our own stories. And so it kind of morphed. This audience that was coming from powwows.com, I had attended the Grammys at one point, and people kind of started trickle in and learn in that. And then I realized people were listening and caring about what I had to say. And then other issues started to happen that I weighed in with my voice, or this is how I would explain cultural appropriation. Or, this is how I would explain Thanksgiving. And people cared about what I had to say. It just kind of became, it just kind of became. I like that you, you were very clear. You said that you're not an activist. What would you call the work that you do? Well, I mean, the title that I've adopted and put into my work that I do is DEI work, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. In the official stance, I would say that that's what it is in the workplace. And I've spoken at Google, I've spoken at Walmart, I've spoken at universities across the nation on various topics that fall under that. And this is education work. This is enlightening an audience that maybe had never heard of missing murdered indigenous women or an audience that had never realized a headdress for Halloween was cultural appropriation and actually violence or how environmental justice and missing and murdered indigenous women are tied, how those issues are tied together. So oftentimes I think in the indigenous community, if we don't speak up, if we don't fight, we die, we become erased, our voice is easily dismissed. I can't tell you how many times I will go into a workplace to talk about whatever issue I've been asked to speak on. And I have to start with, we are still here. I have to start with, no, we're not all gone. We're not all, what they like to say, oh, we thought we, thought we killed you all. And I've had someone say that to me before. I've had someone say that. Wow, wow. Or I'll make the point during a presentation on cultural appropriation. I'll say, the reason why you feel so comfortable disrespecting my culture is because you believe that not enough of us are alive today to fight back against your prejudice. And that saying will oftentimes take them aback with their, no, no, I don't feel that way. And I'm like, yes, you do. Yes, you do feel that way. You just haven't put words to why you feel so emboldened to make those actions. That is why, is because you don't feel like there's enough of us to stand up to you, that you can just do it. You know what I mean? You're holding feet to the fire. I know that room got real interesting. <laughs> when... Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it can be tense. As you said, you do a lot of advocacy and consulting work with companies and organizations. What are some of the main lessons that you try to teach your clients about working with indigenous peoples and cultures? One of the biggest ones is relationship building. I feel like companies and organizations miss opportunities to see their local indigenous folks as sovereign nation, right? Oh, I'm going to do a land acknowledgement before this conference and I've done my part. Done. No, it doesn't work that way. What else are you doing? Are you building a relationship with that sovereign nation? If you feel like acknowledging the land that you're on, you've got to do more than that. Otherwise, you're performative at that point. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing in partnership and to create relationship with that sovereign nation? Maybe you involve them 
in every decision you make as a company, as part of your board. Just various suggestions for these people to see the nations that their companies exist on as sovereign nations. Because oftentimes they think of an indigenous nation as, oh, that's history. This is a culture I learned about past tense language, right? As opposed to, this is a sovereign nation that exists today, functions today, votes today, has legal systems within their nation, has health systems within their nation. It, it's oftentimes not recognized. So I do that. And then also just the other thing that comes out of these presentations is an awareness of larger issues, like the missing murdered indigenous women and things like, let's say this company that wanted a training or a presentation was a hotel. If they are made aware of missing murdered indigenous women and the issues surrounding it, which includes environmental justice and things like the pipeline construction that contributes to the danger towards indigenous women, maybe a hotel can then be more aware at their spaces about the safety of the indigenous women and pay attention to things like signs for human trafficking, or maybe now they're thinking about it. And so they see these situations that I've described in the presentation and they'll start noticing it, right? That creates that awareness. And that awareness gives them the knowledge and the responsibility to act when they see something happening that maybe they would not have been aware of before. What are some of the ways that we as non-Indigenous people can be more mindful about how we interact with Indigenous culture? I think the first step as someone who is, is trying to become more aware, to become more cognizant of the people around them that are First Nations and First Peoples, is to learn and recognize that there's no such thing, like I have another presentation, right, called There's No Such Thing as Native American, quote unquote, culture. There's no pan-Indigenous practice that this qualifies as a Native, like I see some quotes going around on Pinterest or whatever, and it says Native American proverb. I'm like, what even is that? Because there's no such thing. It's either Diné, right, Navajo, or it's Lakota, or it's one of the Haudenosaunee nations, or it's Yurok, or it's Blackfoot, or whatever it is that is this nation that had that teaching. It's not Native American. So the first thing I tell people is you have to recognize that there's no such pan-Indigenous culture as Native culture. There are 573 federally recognized tribes and additional state-recognized tribes. And then there are tribal nations who never had, quote-unquote, paperwork submitted to the federal government where they recognize them as a tribal nation, but still hold cultural teachings, creation stories, languages that are all different from each other. I think that in itself is sometimes eye-opening to people who lacked that understanding in their early education. They just didn't realize that you couldn't possibly just be, oh, I'm Native American. So like if someone will introduce themselves to me, oh, I'm part Native American. My, my next question is, what are your nations? Because there's that's nothing to me. Oh, I'm Native American. Well, what's the specifics? What are your nations? What are your, if you have clans, what are your clans? Do you know that? And if not, there's no shame in that either, I'd like to point out, because colonialism has separated a lot of us from that knowledge. But how are you actively working to reclaim that part of you? And is it part of your ancestry or is it part of your identity? Because that's a decision you have to make as well. What are some terms 
that we should retire from our vocabularies. Oh, yeah. Don't call your <laughs> meeting a powwow. Woo! Call it a meeting. <laughs> and I go into depth on that, about why, but it's mostly privilege. It's because powwows, just as a brief history, were a means of holding on to our culture when we could not legally practice our culture until, I believe it was 1975, 72. Wow. I can't remember specifically, but off the top of my head, I don't have my notes. So to say, oh, let's just have a quick get together with our community at work is equivalent to the only way a people could hold on to and maintain their culture during genocide is insensitive. So that's one. Don't say someone has gone off the reservation when referring to someone's mental state. That again goes towards this person must be crazy, right? Is the Right. equivalent to that phrase. The reason being because if you left the reservation, you were killed. So if you left the reservation, you must be crazy. So they've gone off the reservation was the equivalent to that understanding. Don't use that anymore. Don't call your bridal party your tribe or your friend group. Don't call them your tribe. Oh, wow. There's some specifics and exceptions to that, okay? But on the general... Don't call your friend group, find your tribe or whatever is the phrase that's very common, especially because it's, again, from the guise of privilege. When a tribal nation is specifically targeted and killed for being a part of a tribal nation, whereas you can call your friend group your tribe without experiencing violence or harm, that's the difference, right? The exceptions being if you work in a company or an organization that works specifically with native nations and tribe needs to be used in your description, that's fine. If you're uh, an organization or a people or a group that works specifically with any of the tribes on the continent of Africa, that's fine as well. If you work in and amongst the Jewish community and have to recognize any of the tribes of Israel, that's fine as well. But these are all actual tribes that people are referencing, right? I'm talking specifically to the nuanced of this is my friend group, this is my passion people, this is my whatever. Use different words, grab a thesaurus, get creative, and find something else. <laughs> We're taking a break. And when we come back, Corinne shares some advice for traveling to indigenous spaces. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. My guest today is Corinne Rice Greycloud. 
an educator and journalist focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion for Indigenous voices and issues. Before the break, Corinne shared with us several ways to improve our understanding and relationship with Indigenous cultures. A powerful way to build those relationships is through travel. So I was curious to find out about Corinne's thoughts on Indigenous travel and tourism. I started by asking her what advice she'd give to people interested in visiting Indigenous spaces. The advice I would offer to anyone coming to lands that are not their own, obviously, and I would do this if I was traveling to France, Germany, Italy, any of that. I would research and find what are the sacred spots or places that I need to not go to or that are for that culture only. Like there are places in Paiute Nation that people have historically hiked to and uh, littered and had their, oh, look, let's take our Instagram photo. But it's actually like a super sacred place to the Paiute people. And they ask specifically that people don't go to that spot because of its sacredness. Would it be great to see it? Sure. But the respect, right? It's the respect that's important. And um, oftentimes tourists will come and trash an area. We just know this to be true. Whether people say, oh, I know I would go and pick up all my trash, or I know I would be respectful in this particular space. It's also important to remember what is sacred is sometimes not meant to be seen. I can think of specifically right here in the Black Hills, we have a place that we call, I just went to this weekend, actually, it's called Peshla. And Peshla is in Lakota culture, this is the center of our universe. And ceremony happens there, we call a wiping of the tears ceremony. And I will travel there and um, we have this ceremony there with medicine men in our community. We all show up in our ribbon skirts and sing songs and etc. But I would hope that it stays hidden. That's my hope. I hope that tourists never find out where this space is because we have other sacred places in the Black Hills where the Wakia or the Thunder Beings come every spring that we hike to to greet them and it used to be a place where we'd go for Hamblecha or to pray on the hill but it's not that sacred space or I should say it is still sacred but it's not private anymore because when we go up there every spring it's filled with hikers it's filled with people taking their photos or wherever and there's trash cans and all this other stuff. So it's sad for me as a Lakota woman to see that sacred space with a fort built on it now, I think. And uh, and that was done intentionally in the past, right? They knew it was a sacred spot for us. And so they built a fort up there. I digress though. But the importance when you go to these spaces is to learn learn about them. Find out how to be there in relation to the land and be respectful without disrespecting someone's sacred space. The other thing you can do is support indigenous businesses that exist there or people who are like if you go to Navajo Nation and there's people selling their jewelry, absolutely support those jewelers who have like little side road stands set up. Those funds go directly to support that native family or their food. If you have Indian tacos or Navajo tacos, depending on if you're Navajo or any other native, eat that food, be a part of it, learn while you're there. Mm -hmm. How do we visit and learn about indigenous cultures responsibly? Is that even possible with commercial tourism? I think that it is. I think that you just have to put a little effort, I would say, into where you learn from. I would seek native-owned 
museums or spaces, like go to the tribal museum, go to places that aren't commercialized. Instead, go to the Sintagleska University Cultural Center. That would be a great place to go. Or if you're preparing to come to a land, do some YouTube searches for educators from that community who have educational videos that are accessible on YouTube. Or that Tribal Nations website has all kinds of resources that you can click on and watch their cultural videos. I know like in Minnesota, the Ojibwe Nation out in, oh gosh, I can't even remember. But one of the Ojibwe Nations that's out there, White Earth also, I think, they have cultural centers, just beautiful cultural centers set up. So go there, go listen to the people's history from the people. That's what I would say. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Authenticity can be a loaded term because there isn't one right way to experience anything. But for our listeners who want to experience and learn, what are some authentic travel experiences that can help them better understand indigenous cultures and history? And like you said, it would be different depending on where you go. Mm-hmm. But I think the most authentic thing you can do is to be a good listener, to go into spaces and f- do as much work as you can to find indigenous voices speaking about their own issues, topics, people, and culture. If you find it secondhand, gathered from a European American person or a non indigenous person, it loses some of the weight to it, mm. it loses some of that authenticity. So, try your hardest and put a little bit of effort into seeking that knowledge from the people and then be prepared to just listen. Like if you come to a powwow, right? I always say, if you're going to go to a powwow, which is a great place to experience just a conglomeration of the cultures that come to one space, you may have someone that's Omaha or you may have someone who is Lakota or you may have someone who is I don't know, a bird dancer from California. You may have someone who's smoke dancing from Seneca Nation all at one powwow. Going there and just watching everything, watching this center place for all these different cultures to have come together and coexist. The giveaways, which was traditionally how we would exist. Many nations that were not traditionally close to each other survived by gifting each other gifts after the relocation to reservations. So these traditions, quote unquote, I guess you would call them new traditions, watching them and just witnessing them and internalizing what's happening around you is an absolutely authentic way to be present and to learn. I like that. What would you say your favorite thing is to share about your culture? My favorite? Oh, I love sharing our stories. I love sharing our stories. Like on um, Instagram, I'll do lessons. There's one story I did about my fiance told me when we were dating about Hokshila and Wichinchila. And Hokshila means boy and Wichinchila means girl in Lakota. And so he would tell me the story about Hokshila and trying to win the chief's daughter, Wichinchila, and how he would do these challenges the chief would send him to do. So, so those stories, what I love the most about sharing is I share what the teachings I gained from that story. And then I'll ask my followers, what teachings did you feel that you gained from that story? What lessons did you hear 
when you heard that story. And oftentimes different people will hear different things. They'll hear different messages for them or it will be relevant in different ways. And I absolutely love that because that is exactly what our traditional stories are meant to do. Greg and I had Chief Hollow Hornbear come over because he's going to do our wedding in September. And he is an older gentleman and he's got videos on YouTube also of cultural stories that you can watch. Dwayne Hollow Hornbear. And um, he would just sit on our couch with his cup of coffee and just start talking about stories, Iktomi stories, the trickster, or Heoka stories, or let's talk about the Wakian, or all these different cultural experiences and then the lessons and he'd share the lessons and you could hear a pin drop in our house right and that's the thing i love sharing the most is how rich and how beautiful the culture is and exists as it is today the language is still there the cultural stories are still circulating in communities and living rooms and homes people still have eagle feathers on our wall. We wear our, Greg's going to wear his wapegnica or his feathers on his head when we get married. Things like that, like that the culture is still rich. The stories are still told. We're still here. I love that. That's really beautiful. As an indigenous traveler, what do you look for when you travel? Can you tell us about some of your favorite destinations and trips as well? Um, yeah, the first thing that I look for when I travel, and I'm keeping this to the U.S. because I've never been outside of the U.S. or Canada. The first thing I do is find what the local native thing to do is. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, what are the natives doing, right? So we're planning to have our honeymoon in Hawaii. And so we could stay at a hotel and do the whole touristy thing. And we discussed what that could look like. But then we looked at each other and we were like, nah, we got to do the native stuff. We got to find the locals. Like, Mm -hmm. we got to find the people. So that's what we look for when we travel somewhere is where are the people? What are the people doing? What do you do for fun? What waterfall do you swim at? What place has the best food that you love to eat? That's where we go. We find all the big stuff happening on the surface and we dive right underneath it to find the root of every place that we go. Luckily, we know a lot of people (laughs) because my partner and I are just pretty involved and pretty well connected everywhere in the U.S. No matter where we travel, an indigenous nation is there to give us recommendations of places to go, people to see, things to do. You've got to do this got to walk to this space and then we'll go and every time we go somewhere the first thing that we do is we introduce ourselves to the land that's what we do the first thing we put tobacco down we say out loud who we are our people our family who we come from and then we ask the land and the ancestors that are there to accept our visit and that's just being respectful that's practicing living in relation to the land we're not doing it to be performative we're not doing anything other than like this is just something we do privately we will introduce ourselves to the land and ask permission to be in that space so that's what i would say for that i love that i love that no matter where you are not only do you honor your own culture and traditions but you honor and ask permission and respect 
the land and the culture that you are now on. That's amazing. Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? I would just say that as travelers, I'm sure you already have a respect and a love for the places that you go to. That's why you travel. So with that love and that respect to include and honor the first peoples of that place that you are at, and then to bring that same reverence to the place where you live, because we are guests where we are, and to bring that same honor, love, and respect to the the First Nations of the people where we're at and to our home. Thank you, Corinne. You're welcome. This has been Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm Kelly Edwards. My guest for this episode was Corinne Rice Graycloud. Follow her amazing work on Instagram at MissCorinne86. Be sure to follow Let's Go Together on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review. Join us next time on Let's Go Together for our episode on DNA travel with professional genealogist Nika Sewell-Smith. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Marvin Yu. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks also to the team at Travel and Leisure, Deanne Krasersky, Nina Ruggiero, and Tanner Saunders. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag, and you can find me at Kelly Set Go. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week for more from Let's Go Together.